Hello and welcome to Flicking and Screaming. I am Jed Sprague, here with my co-host, Evan Fagundis. Hey, everybody. And J.T. Chipman. What's going on? And this week, we are talking about our top five 90s romantic comedies. Oh, baby, it's another episode for Jed. We are absolutely in the bag. How are you feeling, boys? Evan, I know you're, I can't take full credit. You, you're a big rom-com guy, too. Yeah, we've been waiting for this one for a while. I think even when we were talking about 2000s rom-coms, we kind of kept referencing 90s and, and some differences and similarities and us loving uh, both of these eras. So I had a great time watching movies this week. I'm really excited for this episode, and I I don't know if I've been as anxious to hear, um, you know, y'all's top fives for for quite a while this is going to be kind of all over the place i feel like i'm excited yeah this could be all over the place um uh, i was just telling chip like as we're uh, as we were coming in like there are some movies that you know when you were doing the google the old google search that i wouldn't classify as rom-coms from this era that people uh actually do so i'm interested to see if those if those land on your list but chip you okay man like I know, I know this isn't this is not your thing, uh, but we appreciate you coming along for the ride. Anytime I get to hang out with you fellas for like an hour and just shoot the breeze, I'm great. But I mean, I mean that though because I'm an extrovert. I'm a people person. I can like literally absorb your energy and your excitement and just your your radiation to talk about these things that means so much to you and it gets me excited it gets me fired up it had me doing my googles and being like hey what areas of 90s rom-coms have i missed because it can be a bit of a blind spot for me so you know in doing my research and doing my watching i was just like excited just as much to talk about these movies as much just to listen to you guys talk about these movies i you know i appreciate that because like Evan said, we've been looking forward to this episode for a while. Um, I think there's a big argument out there, right? Like, what is the golden era of romantic comedies? Is it the 2000s? Is it the 90s? Some people might even say it's the it's the 80s. You know, they love those late 80s rom-coms. So, I guess, Evan, what do you think, man? Like, I'm going to put it to you. Is this the golden era of romantic comedies? So, personally... I say yes, and I, I say that for a couple of reasons. Uh, the main one being romantic comedies absolutely dominated the box office around this time, and other movies were big, absolutely, but when you think of like 80s action movies, um, you think 90s romantic comedies really dominating the weekend box office returns. The other reason is everyone cashed in as, as far as stars. When I say everyone, big movie stars cashed in whatever cachet they had, whatever juice they had going, whatever momentum they had in the public consciousness, they turned that into a rom-com. And, or in, in some cases, they turned it into multiple rom-coms. And the rom-coms of the 90s created what we now think of as the biggest stars of the 90s. And absolutely, there were... Um, you know, other actors going and there were great dramas going as well. Uh, action movies, no doubt about it. But it just seems like when you think of the best movies of the 90s, um, at least I think of the rise of like independent cinema. And then on the other side, it's like rom-coms just going crazy and, and people making $20 million to star in rom-coms and stuff like that. So uh, in my opinion, yes, it's the best. Yeah, I think this kind of goes back to the question of like, what do we mean by golden era, right? Is it what we like when we think the best rom-coms came out or is it when we think like they were like basically starting to peak 
as like the amount that were coming out every year and like these large studios giving these big budgets on these movies that end up making a ton of money, right? Because I have huge affinity for early 2000s rom-coms as well. Um, I am so torn. Like this week, like that's all I could think about is like, man, if you, you know, gun to my head, put me on a desert island, I can only choose one decade of romantic comedies to watch for the rest of my existence. I don't know because I think the top, like the top upper echelon of the rom-coms of the 90s is so, so good. I almost feel like like the B team for the 2000s is better, if that makes sense. But they're super different tonally, right? I mean, I think like when I'm, when I'm like sitting down to watch these, a 90s rom-com gives me a different feeling than a 2000s rom-com. Chip, do you, I know you're not a huge rom-com guy, but do you feel that as well? I do. I think the 2000s get a little cheesier, get yep. a little cornier. I might even say a lot cheesier and cornier. I think I'll even mention it in one of the movies that I want to talk about. It just be, goes a little bit beyond the pale of what I think I can tolerate, you know? Like, rom-coms are never realistic, right? But I feel like in the 90s, they make a little bit more sense. There's going to be some outlandish plot points, but it was never straight up dumb. I feel like the dumb comes later. And I like dumb. I'm not begrudging anyone for enjoying the dumb rom-coms. I will sit down and I will enjoy it with a glass of wine, just like every other human being with a soul. Um, but this is, I think this is the golden era. Um, I think that this is just where the legends of rom-coms were made. This is where legacies were like written in stone forever for so many of these uh, stars. Yeah. You know, I love that you said that chip because I could not agree more in that there is a very, a very swift and, um, Ah, gosh, that tonal shift between like literally 1999 and 2000, especially in these movies, is wild. And it's wild to think back to the top five lists that we made for early 2000s and to compare those to my top five list here. I just feel like and it's not even, you know, right or wrong on either side. Um, but these 90s movies just seem to be trying to do a little bit more sometimes. And sometimes it's to the detriment of the movie. Sometimes they take themselves a little bit too seriously, for sure. But there's just a lot more kind of being hidden in the middle of these rom-coms than I feel like in the 2000s, where it does just turn into pure silliness more often than not. Um, some of these movies have, like, real ideas. And again, sometimes it does not work. I yeah. fully admit that. But these 90s movies are really going for it with the ideas. I like what you said. Like, I totally think, like, the biggest thing, like, to put it as plainly as I can, the difference to me between 90s and 2000s rom-coms are... 2000s rom-coms focus more on the com and 90s rom-coms focus more on the rom, right? Like yeah. these 90s rom-coms feel more like romance movies with a little bit of comedy thrown in and the 2000s ones feel like comedies uh, with a romantic plot line at the center. And I actually, weirdly enough, because next I want to talk about like what about versus these late 80s because there are some unbelievable late 80s rom-coms. Um you can even almost feel the tonal shift throughout the 90s. It's almost this weird transition period. Like you get mm -hmm. like the stuff that comes out from like 90, like seven to 99. Definitely you could start to see where the industry is going. But the stuff that comes out in the early 90s is so much more serious. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I guess I guess that's this as like as simple as I can do it. And it's it just depends on what kind of mood I'm in. But I would probably agree this is the golden era. And I think for nothing else because of the star aspect because like you said people were cashing in at the height of their stardom to make these movies where i think in the 2000s it was something you did like on your way to stardom 
maybe, or, you know, there were a couple that were made with these big stars. Or you were a comedy actor. Yeah, that, like, exactly. Was kind of trying to do, you know, something other than a strict comedy versus these. It felt like lots of them were dramatic actors who were dabbling into being funny. And that's, I think, why your description is perfect. Like, lots of these movies do feel more like a drama with comedy thrown in than vice versa. I think I think you're exactly right. So, like I said earlier, what about the 80s? I mean, I know when I was looking at this list, I'll just throw it out there. I couldn't believe that when Harry Met Sally was 89. I, it, <laughs> I was so mad because that was, like, one of the first things I pulled up. Um, and that's obviously an all-time all all classic. But... There's some amazing ones that come out in the '80s. Do you prefer that? I know you're a big you're a big '80s moon, uh, movie fan. You talked about Moonstruck a couple weeks ago on yeah. the pod. You know, uh, what are what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's that's a good um, point. And you know, I, I didn't look enough into '80s comedies or rom coms this week. I must say, but based on the ones that I'm thinking of, like last week, you know, I talked about Princess Bride. I talked about Moonstruck. Those are both 1987. Those really start to bleed into that early 90s period i feel like those are very similar to i don't want to uh, give away the plot here and talk about a couple of the movies that i'm gonna have on my list don't do but it they feel very similar to some of the movies from 1992 93 94 yeah um versus i have another pick from 1999 that feels very much like it could have come out in 2005 and been on our 2000s list so it's really cool to see the bleed in um there but yeah when harry met sally is a perfect example of like that would be one of the best, but it feels very similar to some of these movies that we're going to talk about from 1991, 92. And th lots of these movies feature lots of the same people. You know, the 80s, like, had a lot of that um, kind of Julia Roberts was just coming in uh, at the end of the 80s, early 90s. Um, but lots of similar types of characters versus getting into the early 2000s in which it felt like it was a, there was a real shift into, like, Jennifer Garner, Mark Ruffalo, um, you know, Seth Rogen, Catherine Heigl. Like, it was a totally different cast of characters kind of in that 2000s range. So there's yeah. a lot of bleed between 80s and 90s. I love it. Awesome. Uh, I kind of want to talk about some of the stars of these, but I feel like we're going to naturally do that as we jump into the list. So are you guys ready? Do you guys just want to jump in? Let's dive right in. Our yeah, first swan dive. All right, boys. It's time for our top five. 90s rom-coms. I'll kick us off this week. I don't think I've kicked us off in a, a minute. Um, so coming in at number five for me, 1999, She's All That. No? No? no. Oh, I thought that was going to be on somebody's list. Uh, directed by Robert <laughs> Iscove. Screenplay by M. Night Shyamalan, which that blew me away. That yeah, was like, I did, I did not know that. Uh, starring Rachel Lee Cook, Freddie Prince Jr., Paul Walker, Anna Paquin. This is definitely more of like i would say like early 2000s style mm -hmm. rom-com right popular guy at high school gets dumped uh by his girlfriend who starts dating uh this big reality tv star and then uh takes on a challenge to make the nerdy girl become prom queen uh it's just it's a really good it's feel good movie i really like freddie prince jr as like this kind of actor he just kind of it's almost like he like was born and then was just meant to be in romantic comedies. Uh, and he's got a couple of good ones in the early 2000s. Uh, but this one is is kind of that tone. And it's honestly, um, it's my stand-in for another that I had to leave off my list this week because uh, I, had, I had discussed it recently. Um, but it's very much in a similar tone. Uh, and love, love this movie. It's uh, an infinite cable rewatch for me. 
that stand in for you. That's ten things I hate about you, right? That's kind of what we're swapping out. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Does this? I'm I don't remember seeing this movie. I'm sure I have at some point. Does it have an M Night Shyamalan feel to it? Like, can you see his fingerprints on this romantic comedy script? No, no. I legitimately, it was the weirdest thing. Because I obviously I rewatch all these movies, and then the last thing I do is when I make these lists, I do my due diligence of seeing who directed it. One thing about these '90s rom coms that I found super interesting. Not a lot of repeat directors, whereas you get into the 2000s, like Nancy Myers directs a lot. There's like a, a cast of characters that are kind of like producing these large studio rom-coms. This was just almost like, you know, dealer's choice. Um, but I do, I do that, you know, research. And I literally saw a screenplay, M. Night Shyamalan, and I was like, what the fuck? I was like, this is really weird. Uh, and I, I might have to do a little bit of like a book report on that and like see what see what that was about, but it definitely doesn't feel like an M Night movie. Yeah, no, it definitely it definitely doesn't. It's and it's funny because this is one of the move his movies that he's written that ends up on TV a lot, and it's just so bizarre because I watch like The Village and movies like that all the time on TV, <laughs> and just to think that this came from the same person, it's like. Hey, screenwriters got to make some make some money and put food on the table too. So I get it. That's exactly what it feels like. This was like a, hey, I want to pay the rent. Uh, this yeah. Month. But anyway, that's my number five. Uh, Evan, hit us with your number five. So my number five is four weddings and a funeral. Higher. Okay. All right, Chip. What do you got? Uh, my number five is Clueless. Oh, that was my last cut. Great yeah. pick. <laughs> Great pick. Love this yeah. movie. This is 1995 Amy Heckerling Stone Cold Classic. This is a good actual transition from yours, Jack, because it's another modern adaptation of a, I think she's all that as a play. Clueless is, of course, Jane Austen's Emma. I'm a big Jane Austen fan, bigger than I have any right to be. And we get one of like the best high school movies just ever, right? Uh-huh. Alicia Silverstone is such like a dynamic paradox in this movie as Cher Horowitz she's like 19 or 20 when they make the movie right and it's so rare for that to happen in these kind of movies high schooler playing a high schooler especially in like the 90s that just didn't happen you had adults playing high schoolers a lot of the time she's 19 years old but her character at the same time still behaves like an adult and dominates the movie like a veteran it makes no sense like at one point she shoves a high schooler 20 feet She's a fucking force of nature. She, like, Stacey Dash is D. She's a decade older than Silverstone, but she gets bullied off the screen pretty much every scene. Like, her narration is fantastic. The film itself is, like, kind of absurd with how the high schoolers carry themselves and converse, the way they tackle problems. It's very much like uh, we're pretending to be high schoolers or this is what an adult's version of high school looks like. But it's, like, just sharp enough and quick enough that you don't really care. The Paul Rudd ex stepbrother storyline, yeah, it's a little weird, right? That's the <laughs> that's the romantic part of it. Well, I guess romantic comedy. There's multiple romances often, so you get her yeah. romance earlier. But with Paul Rudd, he's peak sincere and charm. I think this is my favorite thing Paul Rudd's ever done. It might be a little controversial to say, but I I adore him in this movie. He's a very aloof douche, but like their compatibility is is undeniable. I love you, man. Has something to say about that? By the way, the best thing Paul Rudd's ever done. <laughs> you might I'm sure he'd be proud you. to hear these. I hear you, and I take your words. I will treasure them <laughs> in my heart. <laughs> this is a great pick. Chip's Chip's not coming after me because he's tired. He had a long day on Twitter fending off people defending the uh, the universal DH. Uh, <laughs> but this is a phenomenal pick. Uh, this, uh, like Evan said, this was this is one of my final cuts. Um, it's a classic movie. 
telling a classic story uh, in a really like fun and unique way. I think it's like the barometer, right, for uh, adapted, you know, like modern adaptations of classic stories. So love this pick. Evan, I know you you really like this movie. I can't believe it wasn't on your list. I know. I was surprised, too. I came into this week thinking that this was for sure going to be on my list. And it honestly might have been the fact this is the first one that I watched. So it easily could have been just like recency bias where I watched a few others and, and just put them on. But this movie's so great. Silverstone and Rudd, their chemistry is unbelievable. And even though it's such like a weird, like quasi wrong storyline that they have going you it's like you don't even notice it while you're watching because their chemistry is so good you can almost put it out of your mind and just be like they're just two separate people um who are attracted to each other not to say that it isn't weird of course it is but um i do love this movie it feels way ahead of its time honestly like this feels like a movie that should have come out in like 2008 or something uh, kind of around the same time as as mean girls and um you know, just visually, it's so cool, too. It looks like a music video. Half the movie looks like a music video with the way the colors are matching and the camera's always kind of flying around for no reason, like when people are just walking around. So yeah, this is a great pick. Yeah. It was hard to leave this one off. I, I think, too, like we have to mention this is a this is a cultural icon like this, this movie and and that performance like all, there's so many one liners that are just like ingrained yeah. in like American American culture um from this movie so it, it definitely transcends like rom-com status but yeah great pick great pick awesome all right moving on my number four uh 1997 my best friend's wedding uh directed by pj hogan uh starring julia roberts dermot mulrooney and a very young cameron diaz uh this has a similar ish plot to uh, one of my favorite 2000s rom-coms made of honor basically like a marriage pact goes wrong. You find out you're actually in love with your best friend of the opposite sex. Uh, and then you have to do your best to stop the wedding, even though, spoiler alert, you're the maid of honor. And so it's an awesome Julia Roberts performance. Obviously, she uh, is a powerhouse when it comes to this category uh, of movies. And in the 90s, I would we, we can talk about her a little bit later. Um, spoiler, she's on my list again. Um, but she is... Yeah, she's delightful. Uh, Dermot Mulrooney, I actually really like him in this movie. And Cameron Diaz, uh, kind of like showing what, what she can do. There's another movie, and I don't want to spoil it, that comes out around this time, rom-com, that might be on one of your guys' lists that she's awesome in. Um, this is our like one of our like first tastes of Cameron Diaz, and she goes on to become, obviously, um, a massive international uh, superstar. So My Best Friend's Wedding, a really good, I would say... Uh, it's one that when I like kind of put the feelers out to a bunch of my friends got mentioned a lot more than I was anticipating, um, and rewatched it and really, really enjoyed uh, my time with it. So that's my number four. Do you guys, did you guys get to rewatch this one? I didn't for this week. I, I watched it towards the end of last year. It was on TV and I ended up watching it. And yeah, this is definitely, this is definitely like a fun movie. I definitely enjoy watching it. Um, it is just hard. Like I, I already had some Julia Roberts going and stuff, so I just wasn't able to to fully fit it on my list. But I definitely have a good time watching it. I leaned into the Julia Roberts thing, as you guys will you guys will figure out. Um, all right, Evan, your number four. Okay, my number four is um speaking of Nancy Myers, it's 1998's The Parent Trap. Nice, nice. <laughs> That's such a good pick. That's a great pick. Great I had pick. to do. 
so this kind of fits into what I was talking about. Why another reason why I love '90s rom coms so much? They all fit into different packages. They all feel a little bit different. Some uh, really do lean into that drama aspect, um, and we'll see that a little bit later in some of our lists, I'm sure. Um, and some are disguised as like a childhood comedy, which is what this one is. It's about two twins who are essentially separated at birth by their parents. Their parents each take a twin. Uh, one lives in wine country in Northern California, and one lives in England. And the two uh, daughters or the two twins end up meeting each other. They're both played by Lindsay Lohan, end up meeting each other at a summer camp and switching basically because they each want to meet their other parent. Um, and it turns into just, I mean, talk about hijinks and Sue. This is one of the classic, like two twins separated at birth, you know, end up meeting at a su- summer camp and hijink ensues. Um, really funny. Lindsay Lohan is incredible. She does an accent in half of this movie. Um, it's just kind of an unbelievable breakout performance for whatever 12 year old, uh, Dennis Quaid, Natasha Richardson are also in it. I love this movie a lot. I rewatched it this week and I have to say, this is my girlfriend's absolute favorite movie. She's going to be juiced that I put it on uh, my list and that definitely feeds into it a little bit, but um, it's just, it also has that great nineties feel of just like an unbelievable soundtrack. That's another thing we didn't really talk about before, but so many of these movies either have, um, you know, great needle drops or a soundtrack written for the movie. That's just awesome. And yeah, this is just a fun, fun ride. I remember this being one of the uh, movies that we had on VHS and just would like mm-hmm. wear out over and over again, you know, but I completely agree. I mean, Lindsay Lohan is fantastic. I think this is my favorite Dennis Quaid. Um, I'm not yes. going to name any names. Someone the other day, I won't name any names, said that the day after tomorrow is peak Dennis Quaid, wow. which I think is one of the more blasphemous statements I've ever heard. Wow. Um, what a day after tomorrow and peak being in the same sentence is just wild. We, know. Who is they that? We got to find them for hot take corner. They got to come on hot take corner, whoever that is. So we can, I'll, I'll see if I can reach out to my yeah. sources. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is very charming. Uh, Lindsay Lohan has no right to be this good, this young. Yeah. Agreed. Mm. It really like, honestly, this movie kind of makes me sad for like, man, what could have been um, if she didn't, mm you know, fall into the unfortunate trappings that so many child, you know, actors do having to deal with fame uh, that young. But I, I, what a pick, Evan. This is one that like I almost left off my list because I categorized it as the child movie, but it totally, it totally sits in there as a rom-com. Uh, the scene at, at camp, also just summer camp movies in general, peak 90s. Yeah. And the scene yes. at camp with the, with the Oreos and the peanut butter, uh, just like, lives rent free in my day yeah it's great uh, i i absolutely absolutely love this movie um beautiful set pieces too especially like when you get to like napa francis ford coppola winery uh actually yeah if you didn't that's know that's right that's his winery that's in the movie um so uh really really cool uh and yeah just amazing pick and like i watched this so much on disney channel growing up like it's ridiculous i got my coppola wine here Let's go. So Sophia wine. Oh, let's go. Oh, oh no. Oh no, Jess no. too. Let's go. Do I have to we go grab mine? Here. We this all is, have wait, does Jed have it too? Jed says he's got it too. This is great podcasting, but this is one of the best moments in uh in flicking and screaming history. This is unbelievable. Alright, mine's oh. in mine's in a wine fridge that would take me way too long to <laughs> dig into, and that would be horrible for the podcast, but uh yeah, that look at us. This is incredible. <laughs> hey, I, I propose the first ever live in person flicking and screaming episode is going to be a Francis Ford Coppola top five 
at Francis Ford Coppola Winery, just like sitting like outdoors on the promenade Out amongst the grapes. Yeah, love it. That would be <laughs> the wine is good too. I wow, really, what a I moment. really enjoyed the wine that I had. This was oh. a nice Pinot. It's good. Yeah, their Pinot is one of my favorite like daily drinkers. Um, yeah, awesome. Look at us. Hey, who'd have thought? Yeah. Um, who would have thought? Shout out to Paul Rudd. All right, Chip. What is your number four? Sleepless in Seattle. Very nice. 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 I'm surprised. This is not on your guys' list at all? This is my number seven. Shit, you're just eating away at my uh, honorables right now. but Someone's got to pick up your slack. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> you know, as Jed Sprague has said on record, what a great turn from Tom Hanks, the greatest misogynist of the 1990s. <laughs> that is uh, what the fuck you're talking about. That is not what I said. I'm going to clarify that take. It's not what a you little- said at all. I need to clarify that take a little later because I have been getting some heat from my family. Um, so, but I apologize. I don't mean to, I don't mean to interrupt you. Um, but go <laughs> no, ahead. No, you're fine. What, what a great movie. Uh, so I couldn't I couldn't not feature something with him and Meg Ryan, right? Like mm-hmm. I didn't get, I actually didn't get a chance to rewatch You Got Mail. I feel bad about it. I think I'm almost too nervous to at this point because <laughs> of your take. Um, but I forgot, like, I started watching the movie, and I forgot how melancholy it is and, like, borderline depressing for Hanks at the beginning. You know, he's got these lonely holidays he's spending with his son, and, like, that's a, that's a really good creative choice, I think, to place Christmas and New Year's at the beginning of the movie. So many of these rom-coms, it's going to culminate. Christmas, New Year's is in the third act. That's what we kind of land on. Um, but this is this is Meg Ryan's show, isn't it, guys? Like... When she's mm-hmm. listening to his story on the radio for the first time to both Sam and Jonah talking to the doctor, we spend like far more time than we should in just the car with her. It doesn't matter though. It works. She pulls it off. She's one of very few people who can make interacting with the radio stations, having one-off conversations and asides with herself simultaneously entertaining and revealing about her character. I think um, it really stood out to me too with that radio. This movie came out in 1993, I believe, right? The age of information was like a little bit more innocent. We engaged with the same content. It was live, but you had to be at a radio. You couldn't stream it later. It might end up in the morning paper, but you're reading the same morning paper as everyone else. It's human connection like right before the dam broke. And I think that for that to be kind of the driving force in bringing them together was just such a great like hearkening back in time. Um, the third act is ridiculous, right? With Jonah catching that flight. But... It doesn't matter. I, I have a good time with it. I'm I'm charmed enough that I can forgive it. And I love that... How many words do Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan say to each other in this movie? It's less like, than 30. Like Yeah. I was going to say that too, like two sentences. Yeah. Exactly. And sometimes love is more than saying the right thing or having like the quick word or, you know, there's a lot of great quotes in the movies that we're going to talk about later. Sometimes love is more than those quotes. It's about looking in someone's eyes and being filled with like the knowledge of their soul right you know it balances the ideas of fate and destiny and reality so well it's not shy about its references and how absurd it is there's so many movie references the movie cites its own sources Mm -hmm. but like don't we all have those same reactions and thoughts watching those movies and navigating our own circumstances absolutely this is this is a wonderful pick and when we talk about like it's so funny that you mentioned how many words they say to each other because i don't even think of that when i think of this movie because it feels so romantic like this movie we were talking about those early 90s feel incredibly romantic and that's the first thing that i think about with this movie is just like it 
it feels so so serious even though like you're right that final third it does get just kind of out of control and it's it's pretty ridiculous but um yeah it's god this is just a great movie in general yeah uh, chip i'm i'm really proud of you i love i love this this pick um i think that meg ryan in both of the movies with her and uh and hanks um is kind of blowing him off the screen and like i love that this they give the us these moments in this movie because they're separated right like there's so much time that they're like not not together like you said they only they don't speak that much um we get to like spend time with her by herself and that's kind of i, I really really uh enjoy enjoy that aspect about this movie so uh great great pick all right number three getting into the uh Getting into the nitty gritty here. My number three is 1999 Notting Hill. Ooh, higher. Julia Roberts. Higher. Ooh. Yep. Yes. Yes. We're going to have a good time talking about that one. Yes, this is definitely higher. This is definitely higher for me. All right. Uh, Evan, number three. So, Jed, you're still going to get to talk about it today. My number three is 10 Things I Hate About You. 1999, directed by uh, Gil Junger? Younger? I'm not exactly sure how Jung- to pronounce Junker. Y- Junker. Okay. Um, I don't. I have no idea. I don't I was, think it's that. I was, but that we were we were probably both <laughs> off. <laughs> it stars Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, it's basically about two sisters um, who are in high school, and one can't date without the other dating, and the one who needs to date in order for the first to be dating. Uh, wants nothing to do with guys. Wants nothing to do with the social aspect of high school. And um, Heath Ledger is in a very similar sort of situation and basically gets offered money to take her out on a date. And talk about hijinks and Sue. I, I feel like a lots of these movies have that similar sort of feel. But this is exactly what I'm talking about when I'm talking about that bridge between the late 90s and 2000s. This feels like such a 2000s silly, goofy, fun high school story. Um, I think there's great performances from Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles specifically. I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt is um, really kind of getting his feet under him as an actor, and it's actually fun to watch because we have 20 years of Joseph Gordon-Levitt following this movie to kind of fall back on. Um, But God, the one thing, this movie just makes me miss Heath Ledger so much. His smile is so infectious, and he really brings this movie together because even when he's playing like the, you know, hotshot, tough, standoffish guy, he still is like one of the most charismatic people who can ever be on the screen. Um, and it's lighthearted enough, but it doesn't delve into full on goofiness. You still feel like a connection to the characters and just, I could rewatch this movie once a week. Yeah. I have a personal connection to this movie. Um, it's based on Taming of the Shrew by William Shakespeare. And I was in that play in high school. Mm, there um, you go. Who'd you play? So the character I played, I played Lucentio. Okay. who I believe is close-ish to the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character. If my, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a, a one-to-one scenario. Um, but having that personal connection, and we watched this movie, of course, you know, in our lead-up to the to, to the performance, you know, we were studying. Um, not to be too theater nerdy, but, I mean, this is just a stone-cold classic. I love, love, love every single character and what they bring in every single performer. And to follow their career arc, like you said, I mean, it, it hurts that I can't follow... Heath Ledger's career arc as far as we should, but, yeah. um, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, let's get back in the driver's seat, bud. 
you know, I don't know what you've been doing with your YouTube channel, but like you can act. Let's go. <laughs> Guys, I I know that like I usually bring up any excuse to bring up Ladybird on this pod, but when he was talking about the high school play doing the taming of the shrew, all I could think about was you got the role of the tempest. There is no role of the tempest. It is the titular role of the play. The titular role. The titular <laughs> role. I fucking love that movie so much. But I also love this movie a lot. Um and I think Julia Stiles, like, kind of what happened to her, like, you watch this movie and you're like, she's going to be an absolute megastar. Uh, and it just never quite panned out. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, Heath Ledger, um, he is so goddamn handsome. And when they let, like, there's movies like this and Knight's Tale, when, like, he just is allowed to be as handsome as he truly is in real life. Um, obviously he's like handsome and broke back too. And, uh, but it's, you know, they tame it down, right? He's like a little bit more rugged, but when he's allowed to be as handsome as Heath Ledger was born to be, holy shit. Uh, just gives me the tingles. You know, uh, this guy is an unbelievable actor. Uh, I miss him dearly. This movie is amazing. It would a hundred percent have been on my top five. Uh, if I hadn't just talked about it in my top five movie romances, because like I said, I love this type of storyline where like two people that really like kind of don't like each other, they don't want to be involved with each other, end up just like realizing the connection that they have. Uh, yeah, and and it's great. It's great. And you know what? High school high school movies rock when they are done really well. And this one this one is is awesome. Hundred percent. So I have two quick things. One. I'm convinced, and I love Julia Stiles as well. Jed, I'm glad you said that. I think she is amazing in the Bourne series, the original trilogy. And if you haven't seen that, watch it because I'm convinced her character is based on her character from 10 Things I Hate About You. I think there's a clear correlation between the two characters, and it could have just been her like eight years Fuck, later. Yeah, Treadstone. Um, after she went to work for the CIA and got blackpilled. But um, <laughs> what was the other thing? Oh, the other thing was, this is a great example of, of, you know, back in the day, you could get money for anything in these movies. You got so much money to just tell a high school story. At the end of this movie, there was a helicopter shot floating around the top of a high school with a band playing on top. And it's just like, they probably spent, I don't know, $60,000 on that day of shooting. And it literally just plays during the credits. And I was just watching it thinking like... Wow, I can't even imagine what it would take to walk into like Universal Studios producing office right now and ask for money for this shot. You would be laughed out of the room. <laughs> See, that's what sucks about technology is the fact that, like you could do that now with a drone and people wouldn't blink twice, right? But yeah, like, back true. in the day, they had to be like, someone had to march into an office and be like, listen, I need 60 grand uh, for a credit sequence helicopter pan with a... Uh, nondescript band playing on the roof of the high school. That's how I want to end the movie. And somebody agreed to say yes to that. And that's just everything I love about movies. It's, it's like that, that, that happens. Somebody had to do that. Oh God, what a fucking movie. I love this. I love this movie. Phenomenal pick. Uh, I'm really happy that you have it. And I know we talked about, you know, that I wasn't going to have it because of the rules, but I'm happy I got to talk about it. So thank you, Evan. Chip, it's time. Number three. Hit me with your number three. Number three. Boomerang. Ooh. Whoa. Yes, sir. Without a doubt, the funniest movie on my list. This is Eddie Murphy starring in Reginald Hudlin's 1992 masterpiece. Guys, this is prime, prime Eddie Murphy to me. 
He's playing the role of the classic ladies' man, this seducer extraordinaire juggling however many women until he meets his match. You know, it's the best of that, like, taste of your own medicine story that you can find of this genre. I think what I love about Eddie is he's got the juice. He's got the moves. But he's so easy about it. Sometimes when you think of Eddie Murphy, you think of maybe over-the-top stand-up comedy or some of his other roles. He is so smooth. It's it's a relaxed debauchery, right? And it's he just lets his smile put in this light work. And you think, oh my god, Eddie Murphy is the coolest dude alive. No one looks better in a movie ever than Eddie Murphy in this movie. I'm convinced of it. You can name a hundred different actors. None of them look cooler than Eddie Murphy in his overcoats as he's walking into the marketing office every day on his Mad Men type shit. But like the fucking cast, Halle Berry and Robin Givens are like kind of the two main love interests, but Martin Lawrence, Grace Jones, David Allen Greer, Eartha Kitt, Jeffrey Holder, John Witherspoon, baby Chris Rock, like everyone has at least five different laugh out loud moments. There's also multiple Roger Moore era Bond faces with, <laughs> with Grace Jones and I believe uh, Jeffrey Holder. I don't, think we gave Grace Jones her flowers on the Bond podcast. I think I, I picked her movie, View to Kill. I don't know if I really sang her praises because she is just like a fucking rock star. But all I can say about this is Eddie Murphy sidling up to Halle Berry as they geek out about old Star Trek episodes is some of the most natural and unexpectedly comfortable romances I've seen on screen in a really long time. And you should absolutely watch this. It is so underrated and just not mentioned enough in these conversations. Yeah, that that's an awesome pick, and that's probably out of the fifteen movies we named today, or we're gonna overlap. So twelve movies, it's for sure gonna be the most laugh out loud funny movie that we talk about. It is so funny, John. I'm just thinking of John Witherspoon scenes now. John Witherspoon is so funny in this movie; it's unbelievable. And it's like every single person that shows up on screen has such great chemistry. It really does give that feel of like just being a fly on the wall in the room where hilarious conversations are happening. Um. I love that he's right. He's an executive at like an ad agency, right? I think you already said that or something like that, Um, which is such like a classic, like, like rich, suave, like douchebag um, title to have. It's been it's been used so many times. I just love it. Um, And shoot, I don't even know what. Yeah. Eddie Murphy is incredible. Robin Givens. I love that they kind of flip the dichotomy that's normally shown in these movies with, you know, the guy being the one who's like really cavalier about relationships and, you know, in and out and stuff. And they kind of flip that and how uneasy it makes not only Eddie Murphy's character, but I think it's kind of supposed to make the audience a little bit uneasy, too, because we're not used to seeing it, especially, you know, in uh, 1992. But this is a great pick. I honestly, I kind of blanked on this movie. I probably should have had it in my list. It's hilarious. Uh. Phenomenal pick, Chip. Also, yes, Grace Jones uh, in A View to Kill. She's like the highlight of that movie. Uh, I kind of, I know, I kind of blew you up. I don't. I mean, I, I like that movie from like a nostalgia aspect, and I argued that it's not the best uh, Bond. Um, maybe that a lot of that was a little bit of, of politics, but she's so good and the best part of that movie. Uh, this movie is is awesome because I think it's kind of to me this was like one of the early. Uh, obviously it's 92 it's one of the early adoptions of like hey we're going to focus on the comedy aspect of the rom-com and it really really works uh and eddie murphy also is just cool and very very handsome and that's not something i think like people would associate with 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 eddie murphy uh eddie murphy but he is a an extremely handsome handsome dude so i really really like uh like this movie like this performance uh this was kind of a sleeper pick by you i think this is going to be 
uh, I'm excited that this was on your list. It's going to be one of the standouts of, of uh, all of our top fives for sure. All right, Evan. It's time. You get to talk about it. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Oh. 1994. Hugh Grant, Annie McDowell. That was my number two. I know it was your number four, so I'll let you, I'll let you introduce it. Um, okay, awesome. So, like you mentioned, 1994. Uh, it's basically just quite a few chance encounters between two people, Hugh Grant and uh, Andy McDowell, between four weddings and a funeral. It's pretty much follows follows the line of um, line of the movie, uh, the title. And I don't know, just these encounters are some are more thoughtful than others. Some are more funny than others. Some are kind of heartbreaking. Um and kind of everything in between. And it really just has everything you could want from one of these movies. It has a hilarious ensemble cast uh, that makes up kind of like the outskirts of this movie. And some of the best rom-coms have um, the people at the center of it have friend groups that are really entertaining, really engaging, um, and can just kind of provide just heat, basically, with the dialogue and the comedy kind of on the outskirts of the movie. This definitely has that. Simon Callow as Gareth and James Fleet as Tom uh, are real standouts in this movie. Gareth especially is absolutely hilarious how much he's just mocking the uh, every, you know, ideal of romanticism and marriage in this movie. Gareth uh, as a character just gets to laugh at essentially. Um, and man, it's, it's really heartfelt. It actually, whew, there are times when it doesn't even feel that funny at all. It, it gets pretty heavy at certain points, but it knows how to wrap it up. And um, I mean, we're going to talk about Hugh Grant a little bit more later, but he is uh, he's about as engaging an actor as you can possibly find in, in these types of movies. I just think, first of all, absolutely adore, adore this movie. Um, there's something so incredibly charming about how uh, fumbly and bumbly uh, Hugh Grant is in this movie. And like his ability to... It makes everything in this movie feel so natural, even though there's like a lot that is like you know completely unnatural and performative. Um, especially when you're talking about like Gareth's <laughs> character, but I love this you know this friend group and this life through the lens of big events. Right, uh, you watch this movie and you kind of you'd be it'd be easy to miss that there's a lot of time in between all these essentially like epi episodes. Yeah, that's um, true. You know where where Hugh Grant uh, and Annie McDowell's characters meet. Um, this movie just drips in British charm, uh, which you guys know that I absolutely love. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. I, I, I like engaging with all the different characters. And a side note, uh, this is like a really, I think it's actually like a pretty important like pro-LGBTQ movie. Like it's one of the first, it's pretty early on. Um, and it, it highlights, you know, those characters, um, you know, in a really, really, really positive, you know, kind of humanizing way where like at a time where there was a lot of, um, unfortunate skepticism, um, surrounding people of that community. So I, I, I really, really enjoy this movie. Um, and yeah, that's why it's number two on my list. Uh, this was one that was probably not as high coming into the week. And then upon rewatch, I just absolutely adored and had to move it up. Chip, have you seen this movie? I don't think I have to be very honest with you. <laughs> it was on my list to, to get to this week to watch. And I think I just unfortunately ran out of time. I wish I could give a good quote or a little take on it, but I just haven't got to it yet, you know? And there was, you know, I also knew that there was another Hugh Grant that I wanted on this list. And I kind of tried to go off of like, Hey, I want 
just one appearance from certain performers. So that's why I was like, eh, if I don't get to it, I'll, I'll live. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. I understand that. And I, I would actually say, and Evan, you can agree or disagree with, with me, but I think this is one that like Chip would probably really enjoy. Like, I think this has got this, this is probably right up his alley of like one of the ones that he would genuinely be able to sit down and like appreciate, you know, not just for enjoying the mindset that like we're in, but he would appreciate it, you know, I was just going to say that. I think this is one that I actually highly recommend for Chip because there's a lot to chew on in this movie. And you can look at it at, and this I'm not talking about Chip. I mean, anyone like can look at it as face value. Absolutely. And just have a good time or try to dig in a little bit more. Um, and I think it can be rewarding in in both ways of watching. But yeah, definitely a good one. And Jed, like you said, the the visuals and the aesthetics and stuff are I don't know if there's a movie that's more British than this um, down to making fun of Americans through most of it. So it's kind of enjoyable in that way too. The only more British movie um, is death at a funeral. Not the, not the American remake uh, with, with Chris Rock, but the original death at a funeral is the single most British movie of all time in space. So if you haven't seen that, if you're looking for something to out Brit this one, uh, then please go, go indulge yourself. There we go. Um, all right, that was my number two. Uh, Evan, what is your number two? So my number two, and we'll see if we can talk about it now, but my number two is Notting Hill. That's also my number two. Oh, and that was go, my number baby. three. Let's do it. So my number Perfect. three, both of your guys' is number two. Chip, you lead us off. All right. I had to get a Julia Roberts rom-com on here, guys. I mean, this. I so I edged out. This was It was either this or Pretty Woman. Um, and it just, I couldn't say no to Notting Hill. I'm sorry. Like, when we talk about the movie stars of the 90s, Specifically in this genre, mm-hmm. Julia Roberts is without a doubt the first and utmost name and face in my mind. To open the decade with Pretty Woman in 1990, to end it with Notting Hill in 1999, she ran the table. Mm-hmm. This is like Barry Bonds from 95 to 05, right? Just an unprecedented dominance. I mean, she's she's playing a version of herself, right? As this movie star in London, she meets Hugh Grant in a charming travel bookshop. I mean, you can just drink this up, right? The setting, the music, it's the cheesiest movie on my list. And it's definitely like you can see how this cheesiness is going to come into play in the next few years over the 2000s rom-coms. But it's just enough. Like the the music, the needle drops, the montages, everything is done right. Um, the way that Julia and Hugh Grant have to like weather so many like storms. There's just plane crash after plane crash of drama and problems. But it's so worth it in the end. Julia Roberts looks amazing with these outfits and the hats. It's got, like, great British humor, you know, and it, it makes fun of Americans as well. The casting of Alec Baldwin yes. as her douchebag American boyfriend. Yes. Oh, my God. Like, revolutionary stuff, you know? I think my favorite joke is when they're on the, r- the roof rehearsing lines, and Hugh Grant is commenting on the quality of the script. And he's like, oh, it's not Henry James, but I'm sure the writer. And then he looks at the front page, or writers. And <laughs> yeah. he kind of has to do a double take. Um, also... Georgia Senator John Ossoff totally stole Hugh Grant's entire look of hair and button-ups from this movie. <laughs> I don't know why this is in my mind, but like, wow. is, that's John Ossoff. Wow. You know what I would love? I you know what I would love? Kills me. I would love, oh my God. I would love to like understand and be like, if he just watched this movie and be like, I think this is, this is my vibe. This is my vibe. I got to get these it buttons It is, because he's always got those button-ups with no tie, a button or two unbuttoned with the rolled sleeves. He's got the, the little bit of a side part, curly, quaff thing going on with his hair. 
totally bit it off. But um, yeah, just give me the montages. The mont they're they're all just the right amount of dumb. They're not too much, not too little. I will accept the dumb montages in this movie and none other. What a great pick. I mean, uh, this this is a this is a classic. This is. I'm sorry to out her. This is my mom's hangover movie. Uh, this is when my mom would ha- get be hungover on a Sunday. She would make me drive to In-N-Out and get her a double-double, both kinds of onions, animal style, and a Dr. Pepper. And she'd sit on the couch and she'd watch Notting Hill. Like, it, it's like, it is such a quintessential classic. Um, you know, these two, Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant, are probably the biggest, like, they are 90s rom-coms, right? When you think about it. And it's 1999, and they were like, let's just get the band back together for one last hit. Let, let's put them together. The thing about this movie, other than Alec Baldwin, there's not a lot of like recognizable faces like on the outskirts of this movie, which like throughout some of the other rom-coms, like there are. It's almost like they burned their budget on <laughs> Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant and were like, didn't have any money left over. Um, but yeah, this has got one of the best meet-cutes uh, of of these this list for sure um julia roberts basically playing herself love that and chip like you mentioned i don't know if there's a person in a in the entire world that can wear a freaking hat better than julia roberts i mean it's un it's unbelievable i love her so much uh evan this is also your number two. Oh man this is this is Julia Roberts is so elite in this movie. It's hard for me to even like, I don't even want to talk about it too much because I feel like I won't do it justice. It is multiple times. The camera is on her face and you almost think that the movie has paused or they're doing a Martin Scorsese style, like um, a freeze frame because the camera's just sitting on her face, like smiling for like 10 seconds. So way too long. Um, But I totally understand why Hugh Grant is like, the best looking lovable loser you could ever find is somehow perfect. You actually do believe he is kind of a loser. Um, and talk about like the friend group. And it's funny you say that Jed, because you're right. I kind of recognize some of these people, but I wouldn't have known their names without looking them up who are on the outskirts of this movie and Hugh Grant's friends. But anyone who wants to look at how to make a perfect scene in a rom-com, look at the scene when Hugh Grant first brings Julia Roberts Again, Julia Roberts is an actress who makes $15 million a year or $15 million a movie. And he brings her home to his like group of friends and family oh, to meet them all so for a dinner. Good. And as they all subsequently come in, some recognize her immediately. Some do not. Some have conversations without knowing who she is. And it is so perfect. And like Chip said, it's goofy, but it is so fucking funny. Oh, you're in movies. That's great. That's great. There's got to be a little bit of money in that, huh? How much do you get yeah. paid for your last movie? Fifteen million dollars. Bernie, <laughs> Bernie, dude. Oh my god. And Max making the <sighs> making the food. Um, and making the what did he make? Quail the first night. I think he made quail, but she was a vegetarian. She didn't eat it. Oh my god. It's just one after another. Just perfect timing. Um, oh, this movie is so great. I'm so glad we all had this on here. I finished this movie this week. I hadn't seen it for ever. And I was just like, wow, this movie is so elite. <laughs> this movie is so good. So I, yeah, I, I bought this movie on iTunes this week. That's like, I was wow. just like, I was like, I, I was like, this is worth my $15 to have on, on file. Um, yeah. What an awesome, awesome movie. Anybody else have any, any, anything particular to say about it? Last thing I want to say is 
Um, this is an awesome movie because it also reverses uh, the normal gender roles in these types of movies, right? It's normally like True. the norm normal girl with the rich dude, and it's completely opposite. And I, I don't. It's probably not the first, but um, it's definitely like early in that, which I think is really cool. Yeah, and she's like fucking him over, and he has to get over that. Usually, it's like the guy just goes and sleeps with a couple of people, and then they come back, and it's like, oh, we're all good. But in this one, it's like the guy who has to contend with that, which is cool to see. And again, it's Hugh Grant's sad ass eyes. He's got the saddest eyes. <laughs> and it's such a great movie about movies too, you know? Yes. Like I can't claim to be an expert on exactly how Hollywood works, but from everything I've read and understand, this is just a really accurate portrayal down to the movie sets, down to the way they have to, um, you know, press junk kits, the way those work. So many little in jokes about that. Um, and it just makes it all charming because we all love movies and we're obsessed with movies in the industry. So to take a look behind the curtain while it's also still playing at the same time, yeah. it's such a great balance to pull off. Mm -hmm. I really love that first scene when he like is like going to her hotel and has to deal with all her like uh, all her employees, right? Like her assistant and coordinator and all that. That's great. But yeah, good good call, Chip. All right, so this is both of you guys' number two. So we're on to our top favorite. 90s rom-com. Is that correct? Yep. Are you guys ready? I'm so ready. I'm nervous. <laughs> Number one is Pretty Woman. It is, in my personal opinion, the romantic comedy uh, upon which all others are judged. There, it's there are problems. It's problematic in some points. But god damn, this is a phenomenal... Um, if you didn't realize... My list went from four. It went Julia Roberts, Julia Roberts, Hugh Grant, Hugh Grant, and then Julia Roberts. This movie starts Julia Roberts, Richard Gere, uh, who is maybe the most classically handsome person on, on planet Earth. Uh, also, shout out to uh, Hector Elizondo. I believe that's how his yes. name is pronounced. Uh, yeah, Princess Diaries fame. Uh, he's awesome in this movie, as well as Jason Alexander. Um, this movie has a wild premise. Obviously, like it's one of the most famous movies. I don't have to tell everyone what the premise is, but the acting is so good in this movie that it's it's actually believable that this could happen. Julia Roberts and Richard Gere are so 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 beautiful, and Julia Roberts is unbelievably good in this movie. Unbelievable, so so much better than she needed to be um, acting in this. She was she was nominated for a freaking Oscar for this movie, for her performance. Um, it's so good. I, I think, like, I every time I, I, like, go away from this movie, I think to myself, oh, you know, it's, that that's, like, so funny. What a, what a hilarious premise, right? Like a, a hooker and a rich dude, you know, kind of falling in love. But then you get into the nitty-gritty in this movie, and it's really, like, about so much more than that. It's just that that's just the vehicle for these two unbelievably attracted people to just spend so much time on screen together. Um, they, the movie is more, maybe more than any other rom-com they meet so early and they're together and interacting for such a large portion of this movie. There's not really a ton of time like away from the two of them, which, uh, which I really love. And I just think this movie looked like really fun to make. Like it looked like these people had a ton of fun. The shopping montage uh, with Julia Roberts, when Richard Gere is just, saying like to all the people around her to like to spoil her and then she marches back in into the other store that was rude to her for the way she was dressed uh and and she's like big mistake she's like you work on commission right big mistake huge 
huge. Unbelievable. <laughs> no one's ever no one's ever been cu- cuter in a movie than Julia Roberts in this movie. Um, just laughing and like almost feeling like she's being herself. Uh, that scene of like her in the bathtub when she's listening to music and she's like singing at the top of her lungs and just like the pure elation. It, I know it's it's again so problematic, but the pure elation on her face when she like agrees to spend the week with him and she's like three thousand dollars holy like holy shit like that's so much money uh that's actually maybe my favorite moment in the entire movie is when when um she goes i would have stayed for two thousand and he goes i would have paid four when they had just agreed on on three thousand what an unbelievable uh little line in exchange between them but yeah i really really enjoy this movie uh i in a weird way, tried so hard not to have it be my number one, but God, it's just, it's infectious. And Julia Roberts, this is her announcing herself to the world. Like I am a massive, massive movie star uh, and I, I love it, but I'm rambling now. So Evan. <laughs> um, so this could probably qualify as hot take corner or something and I won't go into it too much and I completely get it. I actually, I think she's incredible in this movie. Julia Roberts, that is. And I love the, um, the, you know, like real life fact that this is really what set her on the course of becoming what by 1999, 2000, she was, which is the biggest movie star in the world and the highest paid movie star in the entire world. But I have to say this, this movie is, I, I always miss, I think I'm missing something a little bit when I see this movie. I I do Uh. like it. I think it's great. I, or I think it's good, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's just not, not quite my absolute favorite, but I get the, uh, you know, I, I get why it's all the rage. And I mean, it made almost $500 million and it's a movie about a rich guy falling in love with a hooker. So that's incredible on its face. Allow me um, to bridge the gap, if you will, and just please. say, I like this movie a lot. I don't love it like I love Notting Hill. I'm not going to maybe stoop to Evan's level of not quite loving it. It's the scenes in the penthouse are my favorites, right? Yeah. Whenever 100%. they're just like together and talking and whether there is like sexual tension or, you know, activity going on or they're just conversing and they're out, you know, on the balcony and you have the aura of heights and that's kind of playing into putting Richard Gear, uh, maybe a more uncomfortable level. Those scenes are borderline perfect in my mind. Again, in a vacuum, ignoring some of the more problematic elements of the characters, I think that this is so I will give the the edge that I will give Pretty Woman over Notting Hill is Julia Roberts outfits. I think that especially <laughs> after yeah. that first shopping montage, that is the hat to end all hats. I think it's, you know, that that black hat with a white coat, you know, what I'm talking oh, about, dude, Jed? when she's strutting out of there. But like that hat almost to be undone by the hat when they go to uh, when they go to the polo match. And she's wearing the brown polka dot dress. Oh, man. And the hat has the matching brown polka dot, uh, like, uh, like band around it. Yeah, this is this is basically, like, there are points in this movie where it's just, like, let's put Julia Roberts in, in like, incredibly beautiful clothing and just strut her around. But anyway, Chip, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I mean, no, you you touched on most of my most of my points already. Um if I wasn't gonna like if I if I wasn't gonna put Notting Hill in this list for whatever reason, this would probably be in the four or five spot. Um, I do think it is a classic, and I think that Richard Gere is unforgettable. Honestly, the 
probably the biggest problem I have is just Jason Alexander, like the casting, because he works for most of the movie as the lawyer. You totally believe it. He's a little bit goofy like he is in Seinfeld. But it's that one scene, right? That one awful scene that we are all familiar with. It doesn't make any sense for that character with like his affectations and his face to, <laughs> to be doing that and to be saying those things. Totally, it takes you out of the movie for like multiple bad reasons. I think it is, it's also funny that it almost ruined his career, <laughs> and he had to like do PR to fix it. Yeah, but um, I, no, this is this is a delightful movie. Story. No, I, I mean, and I think the reason that I I kind of decide to not ignore it, but like not let it spoil how much I love the rest of the movie is because when I think about all these other like romantic comedies that I, I love, not from just the 90s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, there are so many problematic elements to them. And if we really want to dive deep and like, it's going to ruin the experience. But like you said, Chip, I just live for those scenes between the two of them in the penthouse, uh, just their interaction. Everything else kind of fades away. Uh, and it's just two beautiful people on a screen interacting uh, in, in wonderful conversation with uh, sometimes incredible tension. Um, but yeah, I, I, I completely understand. Um, but I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I think I finally understand what heartbreak feels like to have Evan, Evan go hot take corner on me. Um, I, I'm not even saying it's bad though. I'll, I'll give you like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to put that across, but all right. I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. <sighs> well, good picks too late. Um, all right, Evan, you're number one, I guess. Kidding. Okay. My number one, and this is one that I did not think about originally, but once I put it in the category, I was like, how could it be anything else? My number one is 1993 directed by Harold Ramis groundhog day. It stars Bill Murray and Andy McDowell. Screw rom-coms from the 90s. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. And for those of you who don't think of this movie as a rom-com, the entire plot of the movie is centered around Bill Murray trying to figure out a way to romantically become involved with Andy McDowell. And the arguments can be made about whether that was out of boredom or fun or just having something to do when you relive in the same day. I don't really care. I love it. Um, it's about a weatherman and his producer and cameraman who go to Punxsutawney uh, to see Groundhog Day, essentially, and like witness the groundhog coming out on Groundhog's Day. Um, and as everyone, I'm sure, knows, uh, Bill Murray's character ends up stuck in the same day over and over, bookended by I Got You, Babe, playing on the radio every morning when he wakes up after either going to sleep or dying or whatever he does the day before. Um even when this movie gets existential and it really does get heavy there for about like a 15, 20 minute period um, when Bill Murray is really kind of evaluating where his life is and, and what it means to have infinite opportunities to live the same day. Um, it still keeps itself pretty light and the payoff is so wonderful and watching him navigate uh, days that he knows, you know, are going to happen and, and kind of, really just kind of take over this entire town and everyone in it because he knows what they're going to do and how to operate around them is so entertaining. And um, just as a pure comedy, this movie is so funny, but this is just one of my favorite movies of all time. So I, I could not leave it off my list and I ended up at number one. Did this movie hit harder for you watching during times of coronavirus when many days are often repeated? I watched it before, um, like right before Christmas, you know, really getting towards the end of the year when it was like, whew, we've had, you know, nine full months of this, we're nearing a new year, same thing. And it 
it hit me pretty hard. I was just like, whoa, this gives a whole new meaning to this movie as far as just doing the same thing over and over and over. No, this is, I mean, it's, it's a good choice. I would never have thought of it for this category, but also my number one pick is probably not a traditional rom-com either. So, you know, I, I want you to live your truth and I'm happy for you. Evan, I just got to say, I just got to say, this is a ballsy pick. Um, I thought about putting this, especially after watching Four Weddings and a Funeral and seeing Andy McDowell. And I was like, wait, hold the phone. I was like, is Groundhog Day a rom-com? Because I've never thought about it through that lens. And I was ready to like put this at number five. But I was like, no, they're going to they're gonna belittle me. They're going to be like, this is, this is your thing. And you couldn't even pick like a traditional rom-com. But I'm happy because Bill Murray is an underrated romantic like love interest actor he is so good um at at like i don't know portraying affection i guess whether it be romantically or or not um in movies i love this pick uh i'm very proud of you um you have completely made up for breaking my heart uh when i mentioned my number one pick so there you go chip thank you what is your number one pick god i can't wait to hear it save the best for last my favorite rom-com of the 1990s is Jerry Maguire. Oh, nice. yeah. Okay. Fuck yeah, baby. Tom Cruise up in this bitch. This movie gives me everything I want. It has sports. It's the rare R-rated sports movie. We don't get too many of those. Like, yeah, these guys should be dropping F-bombs. Why are we censoring them? It has Cuba Gooding Jr. on drugs. It has dumb 90s sunglasses. But most importantly to me, it has Tom Cruise as actor. Tom, listen to me, baby. Why don't you make these movies anymore? You are maybe the biggest movie star in the world right now, just off the strength of your stunts. And I love it. I love it for you. I hope Tom Cruise saves Hollywood. But he is so fucking good at the art of acting. Just imagine if he took a prestige role, a character piece, a drama, a fucking Oscar bait movie. I don't care. Once every five, six, seven years. I beg, I plead, I don't know what else to do. But I'm still going to give him money for Mission Impossible, so whatever. Uh, he's Jerry Maguire. He's sports agent in crisis, right? He's just immediately attacked with guilt from the beginning because of a kid of a player cussing him out and flipping him off because his dad has 17 concussions. Um, and this guilt just consumes him and molds him in a lot of different ways. And he almost immediately is, like, in need of rescue. And eventually this leads to the delightful Renee Zellweger and a surprisingly fun and cute and pretty good kid actor as her son Ray I think he does a pretty good job this is a Chip hates kids um, and he hates kid actors if you haven't realized I do it's true it's true but Ray does a I'll give you your props Ray this is a great rom-com to me because they get married with like 45 minutes left in the movie right they haven't experienced the real turbulence yet the climactic breakaway get back together that's often really necessary in these movies it's safe for after the marriage but before mm. the marriage it's cool to see how they build their little empire together you know from that infamous scene as they leave the uh sports offices together at sim smi whatever it's called you know and he says what does he say um dorothy boyd thank you mm -hmm. one of my favorite line deliveries right there um so they're building this. They're so eager and bright through it all and chasing this vision that Jerry was instilled with one night into his memo. 
There's at one point, I think it's in the airport, Dorothy is almost like melting, talking about how honest and vulnerable his memo was and how it refreshed her, brought her this joy. I couldn't help but think of Cruz's career in general as he wrote this memo, and she gushed over it like, we have the myth of Tom Cruise, but we've kind of lost the man along the way. And we see that man in the final confession scene. This has been parodied to fucking death, right? You complete me, you had me at hello. We've heard these lines a million different times in cartoons and every other movie since, right? But to me, that's Cruz's best acting ever, ever, ever. I'll hang my hat on it. Just being a human being with a heart on display for everyone. So maybe it's just maybe it's just the Tom Cruise of it all that has it at number one for me. Maybe it's the athlete cameos that we see. I think it, Troy Aikman and Deion Sanders are both in this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want, as soon as it's safe outside, I want to take at least one hit of whatever Cuba Gooding is on in this movie. Um, <laughs> but this, this, is my, this is my number one. Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger forever. Great, great pick, Chip, because I couldn't agree more. It's super impressive that Tom Cruise is able to act like a human being with feelings, given that he is clearly not from this planet um but yeah i love this another unconventional pick uh i'm i'm you you guys surprise me constantly um i really like jerry Maguire. not i I wouldn't classify it as a rom-com another one of those that it kept showing up on lists as like a rom-com and i was like i don't know is it but uh yeah i love i love this i think this is definitely a chip speaking his truth kind of pick uh and i and I, i love that for you uh so good on you, Evan. You you're making faces over there. You you love this movie, don't you? I love this movie, and honestly, I'm like freaking out a little bit because I wrote down three honorable mentions, and all three were on Chip's list. So I'm thinking Chip made a better Evan top five than I myself made oh. as far as the top five goes, <laughs> which is like giving me a lot of problems. But um, Jerry Maguire is amazing. The show me the show me the money is still one of. I mean, it literally might be one of my five favorite movie scenes of all time just because I get so much enjoyment from watching it. And Chip, you are so spot on. Tom Cruise is... No one can wear their emotions on their sleeve and have as little shame as Tom Cruise. He just has no shame whatsoever. Even when he's doing the cringiest things possible, which he does 15 different times throughout this movie, you don't feel it in the same way that you do when other, like more purposefully awkward actors do like a Jay Barrow shell or something, somebody kind of along those lines, like Tom Cruise still is elevated in such a way and seems so genuine that you're, you're still with him the whole time. And I just, yeah, Cuba Gooding Jr. This is my favorite Cuba Gooding, like no doubt about it. Um, he's outstanding in this movie and just, yeah, really, really good all the way around. I, you know, I didn't get to rewatch it this week, and that might have been part of the reason why I ended up leaving it off my list. I'm glad. I'm glad you got it on. Yeah, that's a great pick, Chip. Uh, good picks by all you guys. Let's run through our top fives real quick. So, uh, at number five, I had She's All That. At number four, I had My Best Friend's Wedding. At number three, I had Notting Hill. At number two, I had Four Weddings and a Funeral. And number one, I had Pretty Woman. Evan. I had Four Weddings and a Funeral at five. The Parent Trap at four. 10 Things I Hate About You at 3, Notting Hill at 2, and Groundhog Day at 1. I had Clueless at 5, Sleepless in Seattle 4, Boomerang 3, Notting Hill 2, Jerry Maguire 1. Awesome, guys. Uh, Chip, hit me with two honorables. Sure. Um, I had honorable that I really wanted to put on, but 
not enough a rom-com uh wild at heart david lynch mm. this is incredible nick cage willem dafoe laura dern um essential viewing i think but not quite enough of a rom-com and uh pretty woman as well was one of my honorable mentions and could have uh been swapped out for another julia roberts pick right there evan what about you yeah, so I know I've already said three of them were on Chip's list, so I'll leave those alone. Uh, I'll just mention one more, and that's – it's not even, like, that funny, but I'd categorize it as a rom-com. That's Reality Bites uh, with um, with Ethan Hawke and um, Winona Ryder from the, from the mid-'90s, and that's kind of, like, my first introduction to them as actors, really. I'm sure they kind of did stuff before, but um, – I really like that movie, and as far as the feelings of you know people in the early twenties who just got out of school or are just starting their first like real jobs or things like that, um, I think it still resonates a lot. So I enjoyed watching that. Awesome. Um, you guys had some had some uh, of mine uh, honorables on your list as well. Uh, obviously, ten things I hate about you. Um, so uh, my two, uh, I'm gonna go with Chasing Amy. Uh, perpetual shout out to our boy. Mr. Affleck, uh, and, and you've got mail and I'm going to take this time to clarify my take from a couple weeks ago. Ooh, my take is not that my take is not that I think the movie is crap. My take is that the wait, romance, wait, wait, wait. hold on, Jed, before you go any farther, we're going to cue that fire and you are going to give your own hot take rebutting your previous hot take. This is wonderful. Wait. Guys, is this hot take a temporal pincer movement? Oh my god! I think it is. Wow. Let's cue that fire. Okay, we're back in hot take corner where I am going to hot take my own hot take uh, before Chip <laughs> gives a hot take. Uh, but I, I want to clarify my take uh, surrounding You've Got Mail. I think it's important uh, you know, to the discourse, um, to the rhetoric out there. I've been getting a lot of... A lot of uh, hate mail um you know really really been under the gun for this one it's not that i dislike the movie uh, i actually quite enjoy the movie i think at points it's it's charming um i understand the ideas it's trying to get across through the lens of i think like good movie romances is where i think it falls short because i i don't like what this idea of romance espouses based on the uh the things i stated prior you know, I just think Tom Hanks' character is kind of an asshole. And, like, it's, you know, it's fine. Like, she ends up with him, and, and that works for the movie. But I don't think that it's a great romance uh, in and of itself. So, I really, that's, I wanted to clarify that. I don't hate the movie. I actually quite like the movie. Very close to my top five. Uh, but the romance for me is where it's, like, I, I this is not some, like, aspirational romance. Like, I wouldn't want to be in, like, I would you know, you're not waiting for this Tom Hanks character to come sweep you off your feet. Uh, he is a douchebag in this movie. But that's that's uh, that was what I got to say. Um, does that make more sense? It does. I just want to know, if you had to pick between You've Got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle, are you picking You've Got Mail? Sleep. Uh, mm, God, that's close. I would probably pick Sleepless because I like... I, I like... Oh, God. This is why it's Hot Day Corner. I like Meg Ryan's performance in that in sleepless in seattle the best out of any of the performances in either of those two movies and so for that reason it puts it ahead of for me and and i'm not just doing that to be like you know per you know purposely controversial because i know that sleepless in seattle is like a lot of people's like it's like the the number two right you've got mail like the fact that none of us had you've got mail on our top fives is probably going to be kind of a hot take 
in and of itself. Um, a lot of people would have this as number one. It, it's like right up there with like Pretty Woman as like the the number one like chalk romantic comedy. So yeah, I would take Sleepless in Seattle uh, over this. Uh, Chip, I believe you you were our planned hot take corner uh, for this week. Hit us with with your hot take. A little double hot take for you guys. We went spontaneous, and I like that. My hot take is maybe more of a question that I want to pose to you guys as more experts in this field. But when I look at the movie industry, when I look at Hollywood and independent movies and different studios, I don't see romantic comedies anymore, at least not the romantic comedies that we know. And I just think, are romantic comedies dead, guys? Like, are they just in the dumpster forever and we're just going to get, like, Noah Centennial movies like Noah Centennial is not Tom Hanks we can all agree with that right so are we just stuck with this Netflix uh churning out content forever for rom-coms so I'm I'm becoming very nervous about that and when you pose this question you did give it to us ahead of time because we wanted to think about this a little bit and I appreciated that um I don't want to go too deep into it I will say dying is absolutely the way I'd categorize it. There are still some that come out nowadays that I don't feel like were completely made by the algorithm. And actually, you mentioned Noah Centineo, Centineo, whatever. Um, I don't know. And I don't yeah. care to know. Uh, yeah. And I will say, like, to all the boys, the first one, I actually did really like that movie. And, like, in a, in a year in the 90s, if that was, like, the fifth or sixth best rom-com of the year, I would have been perfectly fine with it. And it would have been great. The fact that it got blown up into like one of the biggest movies of the year, just because of the way the algorithm works. And because we're so starved for these movies is a little disappointing. Um, But as far as like backing up my claim about dying and maybe not being fully dead is uh, just very anecdotal, but it's long shot. I love the movie, the long shot. We talked about it on top five for Charlize. I had it on my top five. I thought it was amazing. It was an absolute bomb at the box office. And I think stuff like that does not bode well for those types of movies, you know, that are actually created by humans writing things down on pieces of paper and casting two kind of stars. Well, one superstar, one one um, semi star in a movie that's about, you know, a romance is just not going to happen very often, at least at the movie theater. So. I think it's not going going the right way. Yeah, I would I would agree. Um, I think it's too early uh, to call time of death. Uh, and and you know and and romantic comedies are, are showing signs of life for sure, but they're in critical condition. Um, there's no doubt about it. Uh, yeah. There are those those bright spots like like set it up, um, which I think is just a really really charming uh, rom com from 2017 and the long shot. Uh, but when it comes down to it, I think that what these rom-coms kind of divulged into in the 2000, the late 2000s and early 2010s uh, has those types of movies don't get made anymore. I think that they're, they could still make the 90s style rom-com. Hey, we're going to focus more on romance. We're going to insert a little bit of comedy. We're going to get some stars. I think those movies would still make a ton of money. Um, but I think rom-coms got labeled as like these kind of throwaway uh you know funny movies with a romantic plot line um and kind of b c d list celebrities Uh, and those movies are are gonna die um i think the only way uh to save it uh, is to call the good doctor greta gerwig 
and have her pick up the phone and hit us with a Saoirse Ronan, Timothy Chalamet, pure 90s rom-com with those two that has ideas that's like actually trying to be a good movie not just like trying to make a quick buck. I think that's like what you said. They're, these movies are made by the algorithm now because they know that people are going to watch anything labeled rom-com in hopes that it's good, right? It's like, you're just like, for the love of God, please give me something worth watching. And I agree. I think the original To All the Boys was 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 good. And I actually didn't mind the third one. I hated the second one. But the third one is like, fine. Again, it's like, it's like, it's cool as a C-level rom-com. But we... As Americans, as citizens of the world, we deserve stars in these movies. We deserve beautiful people falling in love with some antics. Come on. You know what we need? We need Julia Roberts to come out of fucking retirement and and Hugh Grant. Notting Hill 2. Come on, Netflix. Notting Hill 2. Notting Hill 2, the naughtiest. <laughs> there it is. Sold. <laughs> We are now rich. Directed by Greta Gerwig. Yeah, I mean, just to be like semantics guy, we could, you know, someone could say, oh, well, movies in general are dying. Sure. Yeah, we all can see that with movie theaters, with Netflix. But like, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson is still making movies. Greta Gerwig is making movies. Chloe Zhao, David Fincher, these people are continuing to make movies and make good ones. Martin Scorsese is going to make another movie very soon. So the movie industry has a little bit more lifeblood than the romantic comedy subgenre of that movie industry to, to be a little more specific. Yeah, very, very true. And I'm actually curious, Jed, you were saying you don't think this nineties version of it is dead. Like in over the last few years, what, what types of movies are you referring to there? No, 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 no. I'm not saying, I'm not saying I wasn't saying that's not dead. I'm saying like that could be the only thing that could revive it. I think the reason that rom-coms died is because it got associated with this the late 2000s, early 2010s brand of rom-coms that was more about these like stupid throwaway plots, not presenting any ideas. I'm saying if if we want to if we want to revive uh, the genre of of you know romantic comedies, we need we need you know the the uh, what are they called the the paddles that's going to bring him back from the dead is going to be some 90 style rom-com like with ideas, you know? And I think honestly, probably arguably one of the best ones to come out over the last couple of years was the big sick too. Like, so we got to We got to like shout that one out. Yeah. Um, that's good. And I forgot about Palm Springs last year was good. Again, ground, like kind of a, it's a little bit based in like an idea. So they're going to have to find a way to like shoehorn these into the way that they're making movies now i don't think it's going to be these you know these 20 million dollars are going to get thrown to make these you know romances set in new york city or or la we're gonna have to find a way to revive the genre in the you know in the current parameters of the movie industry but i i think there's enough people out there that love these types of movies that somebody's just going to get off their ass and make a good one you know, and hopefully it'll it'll spark interest. But who could say? Who could say? I think they just need to break away from the stereotypes that they got linked to. You know, like the it, there's so many problematic ones. But in the you know in the early 2010s. So, <sighs> Chip, to answer your question around by way, I really fucking hope not. I really hope <laughs> not. But but things are looking are not looking good uh, for manic comedies. I'm hopeful for a post-COVID uh, creative bump. In terms of just filmmaking in general, I mean, the 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 tides are changing, right? New York is about to open movie theaters. Report that was a 
report from Deadline that Cuomo was good open theaters. Whether that's a good thing or not, considering most people aren't vaccinated, that's neither here nor there. I don't think it's a great thing. But there is things that are coming back. New York is going to open theaters. California will open theaters. We're going to be back in theaters relatively soon. How will the industry respond? And I'm very slightly tiny, tiny optimistic for what can happen. Yeah. Chip. Absolutely. I really, I really hope so. All right, boys. That was a fun episode. Thank you, uh, Chip, for hanging on with, uh, with me and Evan uh, as we, we journey down, uh, you know, a little bit closer to our, our side uh, of the fence. Um, as far as movie loving, I think Evan kind of straddles a little bit more, uh, but super fun guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, please like rate, subscribe. If you haven't help other people find the show, uh, engage with us on Twitter at flick and scream on Instagram at flicking and screaming. Uh, we've been loving the engagement that we've been seeing, uh, and talk to you guys. Tell us what, what did we get wrong? What did we leave out? Uh, what were our big misses? What do you guys agree on? Disagree on? Um, but whatever you do, don't come at me for my you got mail take because I've I I'm sorry guys. Like I, I I was a little I maybe didn't explain myself as good the first time. But anyway, Evan, what do we got next week? Next week we have top five from one of the great film actors, one of the great movie stars of all time. We have Denzel Washington's top five. So yeah, baby. watch some Denzel Woo! this week and get back to us. Let Let's go. That's going to be an awesome episode, uh, but I'm super excited for that one. Till next week, this has been Flicking and Screaming. I am Jed Sprague, JT Chipman, Evan Fagundis. Thank you so much. See ya. See you guys.